whenever we talk about climate change, it's very science-based and Western and here's the projections and here's this and all of that sort of stuff. And then we go to the solutions because that's the way that we've framed the problem. Mm-hmm. So how do we, us as local government, how knowledge for us to be able to build in that different perspective. Thinking yeah, specifically correct. like with fire, it's we... Or with flooding, you know, we go to very traditional infrastructure-based solutions because that's what we know and that's how we frame the problem. But if we frame the problem in a different way, we might end up with different, more nature-based solutions. I think building that community knowledge of the Jara values and practices would be really powerful in getting everyone on board. Lots of the community express that they want to learn more traditional values and traditional knowledge but then don't know at all where to start and I think yeah, engagement and events on country and things like that um, to facilitate that would be really mm. great for us to play. Welcome to Saltgrass, a show about how local communities can engage with the climate crisis at a grassroots level. My name is Ali Hanley. Today we're talking about how local government councils can work with traditional owners to try and work towards climate and environmental health goals together, in collaboration and in sympathy with one another. I'll be sharing audio from an event that happened in November 2022 when Jara, our traditional owners, invited representatives from local government areas or LGAs to gather on country and workshop how Jara and councils can co-design climate strategies and manage environmental issues together. I also have an extended interview with the organisers of that event, which includes Ollie Murray from Jara, Melanie Marshall, who is the climate change coordinator at Mount Alexander Shire Council, my local council, and Alexander or Zan from Monash University and Behaviour Works Australia. So before we get into any of that, it's important to acknowledge that Saltgrass is produced on Jara country and the Jajarang have been ecosystem guardians and custodians of this land for countless generations and continue to lead the way and generously share their wisdom on how to live here better. And this episode is exactly about that. I give thanks to them and honour elders past and present. So I'm going to give a little bit of information about the Jara people and the corporation that represents them before we get into all the audio I've collected and the interviews because I think it's important to understand the historical context of the conversations and efforts that have been going on in this area. For those unfamiliar with how things are structured here in Central Victoria, Jara is an incorporated body that has been created to represent the traditional owners of this area who can be called Jara or the Jajawurrung. It's also known as the Jajawurrung Clans Corporation. It was formed in 2013 when they signed a settlement agreement with the Victorian government. I'll read you some information from their website and I have links to the Jara website and the page about the settlement agreement in the episode notes of this episode if you want to read it in full or explore more about the Jara people and history. It's really a great website and it's really important to know this stuff about where you live. If you don't live where I live, try and find it for your own area and have a read, get yourself a bit educated. So this quote is from their website and it's about the settlement agreement. Our recognition and settlement agreement is an important milestone for Jajarung people and the Victorian government, as they now recognise us as the traditional owners of this country and acknowledge the history of disbursement and dispossession that has affected our people. Our agreement allows for continued recognition through protocols, acknowledgement and welcomes to country and signage on Jajarung country. It also provides us with some legal rights to practice culture, access and use our lands and resources, and to have a say in what happens on our country. The agreement gives us Aboriginal title of some of our traditional lands, including the right to actively manage country. The agreement is an important starting point for self-determination of Jajarung, and we now continue to build up the structures and processes that will enable us to make the most of these rights. Also on the website is this quote from Jara Elder, Uncle Graham Atkinson. It's true that as Jajarung people, we have always known that we are the traditional owners of this land, and it has sometimes been a painful process having to prove this to others, to prove that we belong to the land and that this land belongs to us. 
When Aboriginal people talk about the land or country as an entity, it is often given a capital C at the start of the word to indicate a kind of personhood, that it has its own being. In Jajarang, the word for country is Jandak. Jara have just released a 10-year climate strategy taking us all the way to 2034. It's called Turning Wrong Way Climate Right Way. And it's an in-depth strategy document. It ties in really closely with their Healing Country Plan, which was developed almost 10 years ago now. And they both draw on important concepts within Jara culture. And they're both well worth reading. I have a link in the episode notes or at saltgrasspodcast.com if you want to read either of these documents. And you can also go to the JARA website. So as I was saying, they've considered many elements for what makes Jandak or country healthy. From cultural practices and heritage to waterways, forest management or gardening, as they call it, cultural burning, bush tucker and bush medicine. Here is an excerpt from the vision statement in the recently released climate strategy. Jara is intimately connected to Jandak through Murren, We, Gudjin, Warawara, Goka and our climate. Water, fire and life flow through cultural landscapes where Jara and Jandak exist as interdependent entities. Climate change is driven by colonial and Western approaches to natural resource management, where people, country and climate are seen as separate. Jara Climate Action is based on the principle of people, country, climate, connected through spirit, and is focused on healing people, healing country, and healing climate. Jaja Wurrung's vision is a sustainable, resilient, and equitable future where past injustices of colonialism, mining, and pollution are addressed by empowering Jara-led responses to climate change on Jandak through self-determination, justice, and biocultural knowledge. And this is from the executive summary. Jara wants to walk together with those who live on or share responsibility for Jandak to reduce climate change and adapt to the impacts already being felt across country. Jara's solutions to climate change are holistic and transformative, focusing on returning Maran to Jandak and ensuring people are healthy so that country is healthy. We seek to lead by example by minimising emissions and waste from our own operations and practices. It is the aspiration of Jara that future generations will inherit a landscape that is healing through cultural management rather than a landscape that is unable to support the spirit and life of country. By sitting with, listening to and walking on country together, we can heal people, country and climate for our ancestors and for current and future generations. A key concept in all of this is the idea of walking together and joint management. And so we come back to today's episode. Late last year, I was invited along to a workshop that was intended to strengthen relationships between local councils and JARA. You see, there are climate change and sustainability officers at most local councils, and they are often people passionate about working with their local communities on climate change, mitigation and adaptation. They often work alone or with little support and sometimes really have an uphill battle to create change within the council and within their communities. And you'll hear a little bit about that from Mel and from others that I was able to speak to on the day. And Jara, in keeping with their philosophy of walking together, has been seeking to build alliances and help local councils understand Jara's goals and priorities when it comes to caring for country. And if they're going to develop plans around climate change or strategies, help them understand what Jara thinks is important about how country is treated and managed. Jara decided to host a workshop for local governments located on Jajaharan country to build their cultural awareness and to help them all work together. Before the workshop took place, Jara worked with Zan and others from Behaviour Works Australia at Monash University for over six months to co-design a climate change adaptation intervention. That is this workshop. So local council representatives from all the different local council areas that overlap Jara showed up to a beautiful nature reserve just outside of Bendigo. It was a sunny day. We had green grass, birds all around, as you'll hear. We had delicious food that incorporated Indigenous ingredients and was made by an Indigenous organisation. And there was a mixture of information and education. We had breakaway groups that gathered to talk about climate and adaptation issues that are relevant in this area. And just a lot of encouragement for the people who work at local councils and an invitation for them to investigate and think about how what they're doing in their councils can work with JARA 
and how they could help each other. Salt of the earth people. Grassroots change. Salt grass. Listen to all episodes of Saltgrass on your podcast app or at saltgrasspodcast.com. Ollie, can you tell us just briefly a little bit about some of those arms of what Jara does? Yeah, sure. So I'm not a Jara person and I've been working here just for a year. So I guess just framing that what I say, I don't speak for, for all Jara people. i speak on behalf of the corporation which represents the values and aspirations of the Jajawaran community. The corporation has been around for I think over 10 to 15 years but it's been the last 10 years or since 2013-2014 where a major agreement was signed with the state government called a recognition and settlement agreement which is kind of Victoria's version of native title and that agreement, that legal agreement really provides the rights for JARA to be managing land and participating in decision-making about how countries managed. And in that agreement, six national parks and reserves in central Victoria were given back joint management to Jajawarong. So a big part of the corporation is around joint management of those six national parks and reserves. So we have JARA ranger teams and NRM crews that do works in those parks, but we go beyond that. So one part of Jara Corporation is JANDAC or the Natural Resource Management Enterprise and they do a lot of conservation restoration works outside of the parks and that includes things like cultural fire so we have a big cultural burning team we also have a forest gardening team but another key part of the corporation more broadly is around cultural heritage so archaeological sites and, and protecting those and telling the stories of Jara people and culture and also around supporting JARA community, supporting small JARA businesses and artists and creatives to really tell the stories of this part of country and connect with the broader community. So there's quite a number of areas that JARA works across from fire, water, forestry and land management and conservation. And climate change kind of touches on all of those areas, but is something that's only more recently being tackled more directly from the corporation and having the resources to do so. Yeah, great. Jarrah country is quite huge. It's a large part of central Victoria. How many local government areas actually overlap what is considered Jarrah country? So there's 12 local government areas that touch on Jarrah country. Some of those only have a small part of their local government area that, that intersects or crosses over with Jajawurong country. And then there's other LGAs like Central Goldfields that their entire local government area is on Jara country. So it's quite diverse, but overall there is 12. Yeah. And I'm sure that Jara's relationship with each of those local government areas is, it would be really different council by council would have a really different sort of relationship with you guys and amount of interaction yeah definitely like a big part is where those national parks that i mentioned the six parks and reserves the jara jointly managed parks where those exist or where other land that jara has strong connection to whether it's cultural heritage or or other stories in the landscape or or community that there is probably greater connection with those local governments our office or the corporation office is in bendigo so there is a strong connection with the city of greater bendigo for instance and then yeah varying relationships with the other 12. and so how did this idea of getting all of the local government areas and councils together with you guys how did that start to develop and how did zan from monash and his team get involved to help facilitate and grow that relationship building so I'll, I'll touch on this briefly, but then Zan can probably talk to more broadly some work that was done well before I was involved and how these two things came together, I guess. But I'd actually been told about this research project that Behaviour Works Australia at Monash University were running and by someone at the Catchment Management Authority that Judge Awarong works with quite closely. And I'd been suggested this, this research project and so through that nudge, I, I got involved and that was about six months ago. And we were going in there with a bunch of different people from different backgrounds and different disciplines to co-design 
some kind of climate change adaptation project that we could trial. So this particular project came out of that co-design process, but I might let Zan talk to how that came about originally. Yeah, thanks, Ali. So to the specific question, the climate adaptation mission, as it's called, is something that BehaviourWorks Australia started last year. And the mission was really based on this idea that in order to get concrete progress on big challenges like climate change or climate adaptation, you need both a top-down ambitious goal and resources and the convening power of, for example, government departments, but you also need a lot of connection to people who are actually experiencing the challenge and have ideas for solutions for that challenge. And so the idea of the climate adaptation mission was about to try and bring those two different sides together. We're applied behaviour scientists, so we look at challenges through the lens of who could do what differently to make some progress on that challenge. And we had gone through a process by which we looked at climate adaptation and we thought, who are the sorts of communities or areas that were going to be most impacted by climate change by 2030? And that was like the goal of the mission is to understand and try and address some of those challenges. And then we conducted a prioritization process where we looked at a lot of work that had been done in Australia particularly in Victoria, in terms of setting out what are all the different kinds of challenges, health, environmental, economic, livelihood, heat waves, all sorts of different things, and uh, recruited people from government and industry and community to help prioritise those challenges. That was the raw material for the co-design process. And so one big thing that came out of that was really around communities that were heavily involved in natural resource management or natural capital. And the other was a cluster to do with health and cultural connection and traditional owners. And so it was that latter cluster that we sought to try and develop into a research project, as Oli said. And we were looking actively for people who were interested in some of the challenges that were in that cluster and who might want to work with us in thinking through that more carefully and started to think about what concretely could we do in order to get behaviour change, right? People who could do something differently in order to make progress on that challenge. Great. And so how was it to approach JARA and how did it grow and lead to this event where you got all the local councils together? So this is a really great question. I think that there's probably strands from each of us, myself, Mel and Ollie, in telling this story. I think from the research side, we had always planned to conduct some sort of pilot or trial something that actually happened in order to test out our idea about whether we could make some concrete progress on some of these issues around climate adaptation with a group of people who agree, yes, this is an issue. Yes, this is a thing that we think could make a difference. And then what the Behaviour Works Monash University framing on it was, if you can identify, understand and design something that you think is going to address why people do or don't do a particular behaviour, then you're more likely to, to get something to be realised. And so over the course of several months in this co-design process, we started with this very general cluster about health, a connection to land, traditional owners, the potential for loss of cultural sites and displacement and forced migration. And through discussion with several of the co-design participants, really came to identify a specific set of things that could change. And one of the, the set was this idea about local governments taking some kind of action that was more inclusive and more supportive of the priorities and the goals of traditional owners in climate adaptation. So Mel, maybe it's time for you to come into the conversation and talk about how you have experienced becoming a part of this collective effort. Your role at Mount Alexander Shire is, is about how to how to move our council and our community towards more sustainable goals and adaptation and how to manage climate change. So how did you first hear about this and how did you understand it as you came on board? Thanks, Ali. So I got involved with this project through the Greenhouse Alliances. So locally we have the Central Victorian Greenhouse Alliance, which is an alliance of, I think, 13 local councils around this area. And then there are other alliances in other parts of Victoria and Australia. The research group and Ollie were looking for council representation. And 
I got involved through a survey that came out through the alliances, which I think was asking, you know, what are you doing around climate adaptation? How are you integrating traditional owner knowledge? Or how would you like to? That's my memory of it. I might be, I might be quite wrong there. <laughs> there was something like that. And I thought it was really broad. But as the conversations progressed, I started to realise that actually it wasn't. It was quite targeted Filling in whatever I filled in got me to the point where I had an interview or a chat with Zan and Kien from Monash and we just started to talk about incorporating traditional owner knowledge into adaptation and what adaptation might look like for a local council and it was really interesting conversation and then they broached the idea of this project and asking if I might be interested in being involved in it. Yeah, it really struck a chord for me. At Mount Alexander Shire Council, we're just about to produce a 10-year climate change strategy. So up until now, we've focused a lot on emissions reduction, but this strategy is looking much more into adaptation across council services and looking toward community adaptation. So it's a really crucial time for us to be looking to traditional owner knowledge. And I wasn't quite sure of ways to approach that. And so I felt like I was being handed just what I needed on a silver platter. So I was like, yes, please, I want to get involved. And it's been really fabulous. So it's interesting because we have our own local Jara, Jajarang group of elders who I'm sure council interacts a lot with Naldoran and Uncle Rick. But the corporation is the big overarching body that holds all of the Jara subgroups. How much interaction had you had with the corporation at this point and their various sustainability goals or adaptation goals or land care goals? So I know that there is a lot of communication that goes on between different parts of council and Jara, but I think from a climate perspective, I don't focus in on our natural environment and biodiversity. I mean, I do in terms of recognising the importance of protecting that and recognising the value in emissions reductions and things like that. But I think I'm really focused on climate stuff at a different level and we have a natural environment officer who focuses more on the ground. So it wasn't as clear to me the pathways to working with JARA. And so this perfect opportunity was handed to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess the other side of it is you have peers in your neighbouring councils and people with similar roles in other councils right across Jara country. How much interaction had you had with them to collaborate or how many opportunities had you had? Because I'm sure that you're all flat out and overworked as it is. Had you had much of a chance to connect with other people working in similar roles? Yeah, through the Greenhouse Alliances, we do work pretty closely together and Ed, like you alluded to it it can be pretty hectic working in this kind of role in council at Mount Alexander Shire I'm the only person who works directly on climate change we're starting to really broaden that out across different people's roles and people are really starting to take climate into their roles a lot more but in terms of a direct role working on it it's just me and our shire and that's the same case in lots of smaller shires within our greenhouse alliance network so we do work closely together people in other councils in the same role are our team in a way and our peers so it's it's really important those relationships but I think the adaptation space is quite new. So we've done a lot of projects together through the alliances, looking at you know 100% renewable energy for council's electricity. We started that in January of this year. So we've nearly had a year of 100% renewables and installing EV charges, all kinds of mitigation actions. But once you think adaptation, it's really only over the last year that we've really started to turn our minds to it. And it's quite a big and daunting thing to really start thinking about at a council and community level. So I think conversations are happening across councils, but we're all in slightly different places. Just one more question for you, Mel. Within your role, do you see much resistance still? Are there still people who are saying, you know, climate change isn't a thing? Are there people still pushing back or not wanting to act on it? Or are you seeing some momentum building? <laughs> Look, within council, there's some great momentum. Yeah, we've got a climate leadership group now, which brings together managers and coordinators from across different areas of council once a month to really focus in on what we can be doing about preparing for climate impact and also mitigation opportunities or emissions reduction opportunities. So that's a really big step and people are really taking it on board in their roles and in their thinking and in decision making. It's part of every report that goes to councillors now. So there's lots of great things happening in council. There's a long way to go, but there's some really good momentum and it feels 
even within the last year, it feels like there's been huge change and, and that's made my role change hugely in a really good way, which is great. In the, in the community, I feel like there's generally really strong support for climate action, but there's always a few people who tell us that we shouldn't be working on it as well, but, but they're definitely the minority. Yeah, sure. I was curious to hear that because I'm sure, Zan, you've got a, a perspective on how it kind of links back to why you would have chosen local council areas in the first place to focus on in terms of building that relationship and how you think that they're the ones who can actually affect the change that you're looking for. Yeah, so I think there's a question of why consider local councils as the important actors in this research. And I think for us, it was recognising that local councils are really the ones that are having to do so much of the adaptation when it comes to climate adaptation. So this is about dealing with being first responders to and planning for the sorts of disaster impacts of, of climate change but also the slower, sometimes we call it chronic impacts of climate change. So increased average temperatures, lower productivity on land or, or sort of bioecological services, as well as things like soil erosion or ocean acidification, all sorts of stuff. Things that often happen on the space that local councils tend to have to pay attention to and manage. So we're really interested in trying to understand how is it that local councils were trying to grapple with these challenges, but also how were they experiencing this in collaboration with or opposition or sometimes kind of independently of the traditional owners in the space who, who have had caring responsibilities for country for you know, many thousands of years and who in Victoria recently have been recommended or mandated for councils to consult with or engage with in some way when they're doing climate adaptation or climate change planning. So there was all of these different elements that were coalescing around the idea of like what can councils do or what should they be doing when it comes to climate adaptation. But then back to Mel's point about what are the actual resources, what's the capabilities, how's the existing relationships between council and other bodies or other partners. I think that it's very easy sitting in Melbourne to say, oh, you know, let's just make councils do one more thing because they're so close to the problem without thinking very much about what are the kinds of things that influence councils or, or people like Mel in councils to be able to do certain kinds of actions. And that's really where this idea around a workshop that was being led by traditional owners started to form because rather than it being yet another thing that we try and persuade or coerce or nudge councils to do, thinking about how there could be some way in which JARA could take a leadership role and bring councils along so that what councils would be doing would actually be supporting the sorts of things that are important for JARA. Ollie, I'd love to hear from you if you are able to reflect on this. Adaptation and climate change can very easily become a conversation about science and numbers and measuring things and tech solutions are often brought up as what we should be doing and it's all about things that don't necessarily seem at first glance to relate to Indigenous ways of knowing. And so could you reflect on how Jara and other traditional owners and that Indigenous understanding of caring for country, how that really ties into all of this need for adaptation and why is it really so important? So how I ended up working with Jara is that I've been working in Indigenous conservation or community-based natural resource management for many years a lot in the Pacific but here in Australia as well and there's a growing body of research and evidence for this but often we're finding that those kind of more technical technological and engineering based solutions to climate change whether it's building a seawall or a levee to reduce flood impacts or other solutions like that often aren't sufficient for the level and scale and severity of the climate impacts that we're experiencing. So we've seen this most recently in the floods across Victoria, New South Wales, Queensland, where levees that are supposed to protect in flood events are just being totally overrun by flood waters. And ultimately, from Jara and the other traditional owner perspective is that Actually working with country and with nature, whatever you want to call it, is how we can reduce these kinds of impacts. And for instance, 
on Jarrah country, the waterways have been dammed and levied since colonisation and that has resulted in a lot of flood impacts that impact community directly. And a lot of wetlands have been taken out of the landscape for housing development or agriculture or whatever it is. But if we can get more wetlands and vegetation back in the landscape around our rivers and waterways, that can actually absorb a lot of the flood impacts and flood levels. So it's, they act as a kind of sponge for those floods. But because they've been removed, we end up in these massive floodwaters that take lives, livelihoods and land as well. And so from Jara's perspective, Jaja Warong have been adapting to climate changes for thousands of years. They've lived through ice ages. And while anthropogenic climate change now is definitely more severe and at a more rapid pace than it ever has been in human history, there's no doubt that there's still a lot of traditional knowledge that's held in the landscape or through stories that offers the rest of us a template or an opportunity to learn and to follow in a way that doesn't damage country, which I think a lot of those more technical and engineering solutions often do. There's often bad environmental or social impacts from those kinds of solutions. And so since working at JARA across the board, whether it's using fire at the right time or releasing water at the right time in the right place across country, we can both address climate change, get, store more carbon in the landscape, which obviously helps with mitigation and reduce the risks of these mega floods and mega fires. But it's done through that appreciation and to listen to that traditional knowledge that is held by JARA knowledge holders, but as I said before, is also intimately connected and part of the country. So to understand and to be able to read that bit of country we need Jara people back on country as well to do that listening and learning and walking on country. But all of those things, I think, help in building the resilience to climate impacts for, for all Australians. Yeah, great answer. I'd love to talk to you and Jara in depth about all the different activities you've got going on and the cornerstones of your philosophies. <laughs> but we'll save that for future episodes. Let's come back to the event. Ollie, you did a lot of the holding of space and making it all happen on the day. How do you feel it went? Do you feel like the whole process, not just the day itself, but leading up to it has helped really strengthen some of those relationships with the local councils that overlap Jara country? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I guess there's kind of a few things I'd say about that. The first one is that having the privilege of working with Zan and other colleagues at Monash and others who are in our working group over the last six to eight months or however long it's been, I think really sort of aligns with traditional owners or First Nations communities around the world, but here in Australia, obviously, and Jara included, have a different conception of time and that things should take longer and we should try and slow down. And, and if we do, that's when we're going to be able to work together more effectively and achieve the objectives we might have for managing the land or restoring the landscape that's been harmed in the past. And I think this co-design process and this project kind of aligns with that in that we took a long time to get to the idea of the workshop and we didn't enter the process with a preconceived idea or solution that we were looking for. Uh, and I think that is really important. I've been involved in a lot of other events and workshops over this year where we haven't had that time and space to methodically plan and figure out what is the best approach that brings people together. But this project, we have had that time and space. And I think that was a really important part in the day and that Everyone who participated knew what was going to be involved ahead of time. They had time to think about it before. And the research aspect, which Zan might talk to as well, played a part in priming people, I guess, in a way to, to start thinking about how they're already engaging with JARA or embedding traditional knowledge and how they might do that more effectively in the future as well. And the second thing, I guess, the day overall, I think, went really well because of those things. But... 
the fact that it was a collaborative effort in terms of organizing and running the day we had jara staff from across our organization helping out we had people from the state government different agencies like delp the department of environment and also the catchment management authority the folks from monash and many representatives from different local governments and i think that collaborative approach is exactly where we need to go on addressing some of these climate challenges. And I think ultimately we'll see what the other local government representatives said and how they found the experience. But I think overall, from my perspective, being in the project and there on the day was that I think we did achieve that in bringing all of us together. And and it's only one point in time and there's a lot of work to do together, but I'm really optimistic about moving forward with councils in partnership. Zan, did you want to comment on how the day went? So I think maybe when I reflect on the workshop on country, when we originally were thinking about doing some kind of in-person event, so this would be quite a few months ago, as Ollie said, we started off in a particular place and then we discussed and kind of changed what we thought an event like that could really achieve and what was the most important things for it to achieve. And a very behaviour science, that's my background perspective, often tries to push ahead and look for getting change, like in the very first thing that you do. You know, we often call things interventions, right? So, you know, this workshop would be an intervention in that sense, which obviously not only does it have very charged language, it just kind of implies something happening to these people who are participating in the workshop. And so I think that one of the things that really worked through the development of the workshop as well as what actually happened on the day was that in terms of thinking about, you know, who did what, who took on what role in terms of speaking with local government or or thinking about what activities would happen, that was something that each of us had a more specific role to do rather than being something where, for example, Monash ran it and got input or Alternatively, well, they just decided, oh, well, this is what I'll do. And, and we were just there to give support or to help facilitate certain activities. So I suppose what I'm saying is that my experience of the day was that it did seem to be a lot more collaborative and supportive of the experience for attendees and providing a kind of foundation for future discussion rather than trying to push too hard on that first time that everyone was meeting together and rush towards getting something measurable, but that might not actually have laid the foundation for walking together or establishing partnerships in the future. And Mel, unfortunately, you weren't able to be there on the day. So I can't ask you what your experience of the day was as a local council representative. (laughs) No, unfortunately, I was stuck home with sick kids. I was really shattered to miss it. So I guess the question is, moving forward, how do you see your relationships growing or what are the next steps? Ollie, do you want to answer that from your perspective? So... The day went really well and I think there was a lot of momentum kind of building throughout the day and what Zan said was true. We weren't trying to push to some objective outcome from the workshop straight away but, you know, I was kind of hoping to come out of it with some clear next steps and I think that didn't quite happen but since the workshop, several of the local government participants from multiple local councils have reached out with different ideas that have been inspired and and come out of the day in terms of things that they'd like to start doing. One of those is to be investing in cultural competence training for landholders in multiple shires and to work with JARA on delivering that kind of workshop. And JARA works with a lot of local governments, but it's often us going out to different councils to do their work and often there is alignment and often it's about healing country and so that's okay but you know jara as a corporation is is very under-resourced it's stretched it's a massive part of central victoria that we manage i'm the only person on climate change as mel is at, at mount alexander shire and so if it's me getting called out to all of these different climate change adaptation workshops in all the different local councils, that's really not sustainable. And so part of the intention for this workshop was kind of to flip it 
and say, you know, this land is, is Aboriginal land, it's Jara country, Jara are the traditional owners here, and Jara should be leading on how decisions are made for healing country and preparing for climate change. And so basically this workshop was about bringing all of those local governments to us rather than us always going out to them. And so ultimately I think we were able to achieve that and through different communications with several of the councils, things have started to come out of it. And I think it goes to the power of of Zan's point in that we weren't trying to force something out of the workshop, but it seems like some seeds were sown in that workshop and the engagement around the workshop that I'm really optimistic will lead to some tangible actions and things being implemented on the ground. That's great. And Zan, from your point of view and in terms of your research, were you happy with how things have gone? And does that conclude your relationship with Jara or is there more to your collaboration with them? So in terms of the research, one of the ways that we had always hoped the work would evolve is that what we learn through the whole process of figuring out what are the sorts of challenges that we're facing in climate adaptation, what are the specific ones that we're going to prioritise and try and work on in the next year, and then how might we work with people who are affected by or have potential solutions to that challenge to, to co-design some idea. We'd always hope to repeat that process in a way and learn from it and start to address other challenges. And so we'd be really looking to continue collaboration with people like Ollie and Mel and local governments and traditional owner corporations like JARA in order to be able to address some of the other challenges in climate adaptation. So that's like a very high level. When it comes to this specific project, we've received a lot of interest from some of the funders and, and the partners on this climate adaptation mission, which includes the Victorian Department of Environment, the, the Commonwealth Department of Environment, and several government agencies, to think about well, what would the next iteration of something like this process look like if we tried to adapt it and flexibly implement it somewhere else. So what would be the right way to bring together local government on traditional owner country for a traditional owner-led workshop that would lead to partnerships for climate adaptation if you did it in a different part of Victoria or if you did it in South Australia or Queensland. And so it's those things that we're looking to learn in the follow-up interviews and research we're conducting with attendees of the workshop and also hopefully with JARA to be able to understand what might be next, both within this region of, of central Victoria, but also elsewhere in Australia. And I think that the ultimate goal or the vision might be that this could be a model or an example that other traditional owners and local governments could use and adapt and choose the elements that work for them in order to get better coordination and collaboration between local governments and traditional owners ultimately to be able to address some of these big challenges that we're seeing in climate adaptation in Australia. Great. Mel, do you have any final reflections from working with JARA and being part of this? Has it changed what you're writing into the council's climate change plan? Yeah, that's a good question, Ali. So at this point, I'm not sure what will actually come into the strategy. And that's partly because I'm still figuring out what bringing that traditional owner or that JARA lens into thinking quite what that looks like. But Ollie has very kindly offered to help to review our strategy and meet with me to go through that when we've got a draft to show. But what it's made really clear for me is the benefit of an ongoing collaboration in delivering the strategy because the strategy is going to be a bit of a living, breathing thing and we'll have annual action plans that we create each year for the year ahead and I'm really hopeful that we can have a really collaborative approach to that, working with traditional owners in this area, so with JARA but also Nalderun and also the broader community. So I'm trying to work out quite what that would look like but definitely the themes that have come in through our community engagement for our strategy, collaboration, is a really big theme and it, I mean it makes so much sense we've got huge challenges to overcome and it's abundantly obvious that we all need to work together as much as we can and collaborate where possible because we just can't no one can solve this by themselves and I think the the intent of the on-country workshop 
at one point was described, walk together to address climate change in central Victoria was sort of an overarching phrase that was used. And I really like that language. I really like that idea of walking together. And that's really struck a chord with me. And I hope that through our strategy development and delivery, that we can really take that on board. Does anyone else have any last words or any thoughts that you wanted to share? Yeah, the biggest thing I've kept saying is the direction I've been given is that JARA want to lead and want to be at the front of climate action and climate solutions on country, but we need um, the time and the resources to be able to lead that work. So I'm really excited about more partnerships and more collaborations with local governments, with universities, with others, because I see those as ways to achieve that in terms of empowering that self-determination for JARA to decide how country is managed into the future. So that was Ollie from JARA, Zan from Behaviour Works Australia and Monash University, and Mel from Mount Alexander Shire Council. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Before we go, I want to share a couple of reflections from people at the event. Firstly, two of the participants who came from different local government areas, and then also from the organisers. And of course, when meeting on country, sometimes the humans don't have the last word. For those who don't know, wa is the Jajawarang word for crow or raven. That was what I was most excited about, to have a regional approach and everyone together at the table I think is always the best way to find the best solutions, especially for really complex issues such as climate change. We come from quite a, a small little rural shire council so we're always looking to learn what we can from others who've maybe been doing a bit more work before us. So yeah, definitely interesting to hear their perspectives and realise we're also doing a lot of good work in that regard as well. I'm imagining that there'll be ongoing discussions around some of the great ideas that came out of today. I think it's at the start of something bigger, I think. I got a lot from today. It was a pretty special feeling to be coming out here and just to start to put the jigsaw together is a really good thing. The level of collaboration is really significant. I was in the not-for-profit space, still working on climate mitigation projects mainly and there was lots of collaboration but coming into the local government space now the last couple of years it's been a really wonderful experience actually because there's no intellectual property really people just want to share everything work that takes years to do people are just happy to pass it on and no one's trying to make a buck out of anything so that's a really lovely change there's little pockets of collaborative projects you know there's one around healthy landscapes and regenerative farming that I'm involved in there's one around carbon sequestration that's got a bunch of councils that were here today that we've been nutting out some quite tricky stuff that might be expensive and really time consuming to do on your own so yeah are there some alternatives to buying international offsets so you think about some of the climate neutral or net zero councils that have been offsetting what we're looking at is How can we actually, rather than offsetting, it's insetting. So how do you actually sequester the carbon locally? And then in order to pay for those projects, what a business or a council or whatever would have normally paid for offsets can actually use that money locally instead. It's really just about forming those personal relationships and building on the ones you've already got and reaching out and actually just catching up for a coffee or catching up and and just moving things forward. The idea of like this being a point in time and the naive view that I thought was sophisticated, I thought, oh, this is going to be the start. This is going to be the opening up. We're not expecting that this is going to solve partnerships, but it will be like the start of something. And I think that I now realize that, it's, no, it's not the start at all. We've come in here and there's like a long history. There's thousands of years of history. And when it comes to climate adaptation, and resilience, there's actually a lot of existing work and relationships that this is like an opportunity to get involved in, but isn't by itself something that we should consider to be like, yeah, we did this or we are somehow influential in starting something. Yeah, um, sure. But I think that's like, I suppose that's exciting because it means that it's not like 
we're trying to get something from a standing start and it's humbling because it's like you know, there's a lot of people here who are working every day to like take care of their communities and we have to be careful about coming in and telling them like that we know how to do it well <laughs> yeah um, just to add to that i think that when we get caught up only on the last 200 years i think people can sometimes get locked emotionally or locked just in the shame the guilt elements or the complexities of emotions that come with that and so i think it's important to blow the story open and, and go think about the, the, th the thousands of years of history or the tens of thousands of years of history here to put it into context of of this place and, and what's happened more recently so that we can kind of have a more expansive way of thinking about well how do we adapt to, to climate change and its, its associated impacts and if we're not starting a story from scratch as you said what's the continuation of the story um, not just getting you know trapped in the more difficult emotions or I don't know, the, the natural tendency people can have to freak out about climate change, but putting it into the context of story, and the, the big story that it is. Yeah, mm. oh, that's great. <laughs> we got very noisy. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Wow, what do you want to say, wow? <laughs> what you got? <laughs> Authoritative review of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> salt, 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 yeah. Salt, salt. Salt of the earth people. Grassroots change. Salt grass. Listen to all episodes of Salt Grass on your podcast app or at saltgrasspodcast.com. Don't forget to check out links and notes about the show on the episode page on the website, saltgrasspodcast.com. Don't forget to get your saltgrass ethical gear. We have t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, posters and puzzles. And there are new designs all the time. You can follow us on all the socials and you can subscribe to our email list to get reminders and updates about the show. This program was made possible with support from Main FM and the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. My name is Ali Hanley. Thanks for listening. Ah, ah, ah.